Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. We have a very special guest on the podcast today, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, a title that he has held uh, since 1984. Dr. Fauci, thank you uh, for joining us. Good to be with you, John. Thank you for having me. So uh, you, you were there day after day. I was in the room most of those days uh, in, in, the, in the White House briefing room at the Coronavirus Task Force uh, briefings. An unbelievable platform, the nation, really much of the world watching uh, every day. Uh, and yet it's been more than a month since we've seen one of those briefings. So I just wanted to start with a, with a very general question here. If, if you had that platform right now, now you have this platform um, what what is your message to the American people about where we are on coronavirus? Well, John, you know it's it, it's a complicated issue. Uh, um, some of it seems simple because it's really uh, uh, we're, we're, we're we've been through a terrible ordeal and we still are in it. Um, my message to the American people is that I know that there's a lot of concern and and energy about getting back to normal. It's a great stress on people to be locked in and not only just a psychological stress, but a stress obviously on people's welfare. I mean, people losing jobs and people not being able to get back the economy, getting into trouble. These are very stressful times. My message is for people to please hang in there. We will get through this. This will end. It will end with a combination of public health measures and ultimately science coming in and getting durable solutions, such as treatments and vaccines. They are not readily available, but we are making, you know, rather significant strides in both direction towards getting those countermeasures. But in the meanwhile, we really do need to hang in there as we try to get back to some form of normality in the sense of opening up. We've got to do it prudently. We've got to do it carefully. And to the extent possible, I know there's a lot of um, a leeway and discretion is given to the states. And I would hope that they would make those steps of essentially re-entering some form of normality in a way that is attentive to the kinds of guidelines that we put together. I mean, a lot of states are doing that. A lot of states are doing it well. The issue that I think, John, need, needs to be pointed out to people is that even as we do make these appropriate steps towards opening up, there still is a degree of caution that everyone should be uh, essentially uh, um, operating along, such as things that are common sense, wearing a mask, trying as best as possible to keep distance, continuing to wash your hands. It shouldn't be an all or none. Either you completely locked in or you just don't abide by any of the recommendations that we public health officials do. So that's what I meant by it's a bit complicated because you do want to make those steps towards normality, towards opening up. But we've got to be careful. What, What will happen, John, is that as you go towards lessening the mitigation, which you have to do if you want to start approaching some form of return and reopening the country, that you will inevitably see these blips of infections because infections have not completely disappeared. The critical issue is how we at the state, city, 
town, local, county level, how we respond to it. So we need to have in place, and we do in many places, the manpower, the infrastructure, the testing to be able to identify, to isolate, and to contact trace. And that's the reason why I've been quoted as saying, and I'll stand by it, we don't necessarily have to have a resurgence of infections if we respond well to the ones we see. We don't necessarily have to have a second wave as long as we have the capability when those inevitable infections come up to be able to handle them in an effective way. So what are we, what are we seeing now? Because I, I, I see on one hand, obviously, New York is reopening. Uh, hospitalizations and deaths in New York have come down uh, uh, dramatically. Uh, but I also see uh, hospitalizations with people critically uh, sick uh, from uh, COVID-19 in Texas. I see an increase in the emergency room, uh, 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 what's happening in emergency rooms in Arizona. I see signs of increase in the numbers uh, in, in Florida. Are we seeing, are we seeing a spike? Uh, are we seeing a second wave? Uh, my, 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 friend, um, over, my friends over at 538 say it's not really appropriate to talk about spikes because a gradual increase uh, can, can, can have a, a very dramatically negative effect. But what are we seeing? Are we seeing signs that we have moved too quickly uh, towards reopening or maybe outgrowths of the protest? What, what are we, what are you, what are you seeing? Yeah. You know, John, in, in some respects, uh, it's a bit of all of the above and, and, and you can't make that kind of extrapolation to the entire country. Uh, there, there, again, as I always explain, the United States is a very big country and is very heterogeneous. I mean, you've had areas of the country that have gotten hit really, really badly and have, you know, suffered and then come back down again, doing much, much better. And I think you see that reflected in the daily count of deaths that keep going down and down and down. New York is an example of the New York metropolitan area that, that really suffered greatly, but are now, you know, doing well. They're, they're starting to open in, in a careful, cautious way. Uh, I think the same thing right now, Washington, D.C., for a while, was hanging around at a level that was not coming down. Now that they're coming down, they're going in into phase one. You have places in the country, John, that never really did have a lot of activity. Uh, and when you talk about what they'll be doing, that's different than an area in which you still have residual or even a, a, a level of infection that you want to be really cautious before you do anything. So the, the main issue that people should not get confused as that when you talk about the country, you can't be talking about it in a unidimensional way. You've got to talk about each individual area. Now, you brought up some places that we are seeing a disturbing uptick in the number of infections. Now, when you talk about numbers of infections, you've got to make sure that you separate the fact that if you test more, you will likely pick up more infections. The critical aspect of that is the percent of the people that you test that are infected, because that's much more of a reflection of whether or not you are seeing a true increase in infections because if the infections are already there john and you're testing at this level and then you ratchet up your testing you may pick up 
infections that you wouldn't have picked up before. And that's what it means when people say it really is that you're testing more. But once you see that the percentage is higher, then you really got to be careful because then you really are seeing additional infections that you weren't seeing before. Okay, so so tell me on that point, because we we actually just heard from Larry Kudlow. Now, he's not a a health expert. He's the president's economics advisor, one of them. Um, and he uh, said, let me, let me give you the exact quote. This was just this morning. He said, um, there is no second spike. Let me repeat that. There is no second spike. I mean, the testing itself has jumped up. There is no emergency. There is no second wave. So he's saying that all this talk of increase is simply what you just described we should be careful of. Obviously, there's going to be more cases if we're testing more people because we're, we're, we're doing a better job measuring it. But are you also seeing in these places that we mentioned, Arizona, Texas, Florida, Alabama, Arkansas, for example, are you also seeing an increase in the percentage of cases, which you just said would be troubling, not to mention hospitalizations? Yeah. Well, I, I think if you just look at the data, the data speaks. It isn't one's opinion versus another. Right. And in, in particular, in California, also, what when looks at the percentage, you do see that the percentage has increased. You also, in some of those areas, not all, are seeing increases in hospitalizations. So you've really got to be careful that it is both. You're going to be seeing increase because you're testing. But once you start seeing increases in hospitalizations, in addition to that, or increases in the percentage of the total testing that is actually positive, then that cannot be explained just by an increase in testing. So it's so we, going to be both. You see real warning signs that we're, we, we have a, a tough road ahead still. Well, you know, I, I think to be, to be actually clear in it and not to overshoot or undershoot in your estimate of things, I will keep an eye, not just me personally, but the health officials are looking really carefully now at the next couple of weeks from a few standpoints. Because a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, a number of states, cities, towns, counties began varying degrees of reopening. Some have gone strictly by the gateway, phase one, phase two, phase three. Others have actually jumped over it. The question is, you'll start to see whether there is, as a result of that, a real increase in the new cases, new hospitalizations. I believe the same thing holds true for the demonstrations where there was crowding. Not everybody was wearing a mask. You're going to see the effect of that within a couple of weeks. And the reason you don't see it in a week or so because you can get people to get infected by the time they then infect people who are vulnerable enough to be sick enough to go to the hospital. It may take a few weeks. So what we're keeping our eye on very, very carefully, and the data are going to speak for itself, John, it will speak for itself. If we start seeing these increases in cases and increases in hospitalization, it will then tell us that, in fact, our concern about what would happen if you do those kinds of things has come true. If we don't, 
then that would be fine. I mean, I've always said there's another aspect of this, John, that's important in that you don't necessarily have to have a spike. If when you get additional infections, Mm -hmm. you have the capability of doing appropriate and effective identification, isolation and contact tracing to keep it contained. Because whenever you loosen mitigation, you can expect you'll see new infections. I think it would be unrealistic to think that you won't. The critical issue is how do you prevent those new infections that you see from all of a sudden emerging into something that is a spike? And that's the thing that we hope we'll be able to contain. But time is going to tell in the next few weeks. So, so let me let me ask you about the protests. Um, we, we've seen these protests every state in the country, every major city in the country, uh, and I see a lot of people, a lot of protesters wearing masks. As you pointed out, not all of them are wearing masks, and they're certainly not, as a rule, socially distant. These are crowded events with a lot of people. Uh, what is the danger there? What is your message to those uh, who feel that they must get out there and join these protests during this time? Yeah. Well, I mean, in a perfect world um, where that's the, <laughs> it's exactly right, John. it is not a perfect world. And that's my point. So the issue is, from a public health standpoint, you shouldn't be congregating in that close quarters that you see in demonstrations. But almost everyone understands the need to be able to express your constitutional right, to be able to demonstrate in a peaceful way against something that is really a very important social issue. I respect that. However, I have to, as a public health official, say that is risky when you do that. Now, you can always say the two things that get in the way of the virus are social distancing or physical distancing, as well as a mask. So what I'm saying for those who want to avoid infection, implement both of those. But you know, no matter what I say, and reality has proven that, people are going to go out and demonstrate. So my advice and pleading with them would be that if you feel you must do that, please make sure you wear a mask at all times. And when you start to chant and shout, even though the instinct is to pull the mask down, which you see, don't do that because there is a risk there and it's a real risk. And in fact, we just heard this past week that several DC National Guardsmen turned out to be positive. So right there, you're already seeing what I'm talking about. You know, it's a danger to the people who are trying to control the demonstration and it's a danger to the people who are demonstrating. So at the end of the day, it is a risky procedure. So let me ask you about the coronavirus task force. What, what's become of it? I mean, we know that the briefings have stopped. Yeah. Um, and I don't see you down at the White House much anymore. Maybe, maybe you, you can always get in without me seeing you, I suppose. But how, how often is that task force meeting? Yeah. Well, well we met um, yesterday. Um, I'm going down today and not to a task force meeting. No, but, but we meet about two times a week, three times a week. I would say two. Two times. I mean, you used to be meeting seven days a week. Yes, we did. But you know, the thing that that's, that's, that's changed, John, is that we have the task force meeting 
Um, we also have what's called the doctors group where myself and Debbie Burks and Bob Redfield and Steve Hahn and Seema Verma meet in addition to the task force meeting. As you've obviously seen that right now, the medical components of it, the interaction between myself and the CDC and Debbie Burks is almost constant. So mm -hmm. the medical part of it, we meet, even though it isn't an official task force meeting, a day does not go by that we're not interacting with each other. But, but is that is what you are doing, reaching the, the, the political team at right. the White House that's actually making decisions? When, yeah. when was the last time you spoke to the president about all of this? Last week. Last, last week. week. Yeah, yeah. It's when I brief. Yeah, he he needed a briefing uh, on what the what the vaccine activity was, mm -hmm. which is what I'm concentrating on a lot right now. So, uh, you know, I go down to the White House for the task force meetings. I go down for the doctors meeting that we meet. So I'm down at the White House at least a few times a week. Uh, I like I said, we don't have the official task force meetings as often as we did because. What the, what the attention to now, John, you know that. I mean, it's to getting the country to reopen. So there's a lot more of the uh, discussion, not at the task force meeting, but at the White House about what one needs to do to get the economy back, what one needs to do to reopen the country. Because I, I want to ask you, you probably saw this, but the, the director of Harvard's Global Health Institute, uh, Dr. Ashish Jha uh, said, uh, I think this was earlier today, it feels to me like the government has thrown in the towel on this pandemic. Don't even appear to be trying anymore. They're doing little to protect nursing homes. The testing czar is gone. No replacement. Yes. Yet uh, we, we don't hear from the task force. The pandemic is not over, people. I know you would agree with that last sentence, uh, but do you understand why he is saying uh, the, 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 the first part, do you understand at least why among somebody who's very plugged into all this uh, gets the sense that the administration is thrown in the towel on this? Yeah. Well, I can tell you, we, we have not thrown, thrown in the towel. I don't, you have <laughs> the towel. I don't think anybody would say have, you have. <laughs> that's for sure, John. <laughs> this is my life. 20 hours a day. Yeah. There's no towel. You're not, you're not the guy that throws in the towel on this stuff. Yeah. I know that. Yeah, we're not. But 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 the idea of of uh, the medical people really keeping an eye on what's going on and continuing in our recommendations and what needs to be done to be able to keep the the country safe and and, and healthy is, you know, it it, it it's it's a lot of um, uh, I don't know what the right word to express it is, is that there is a great uh, drive and need to try and get the country back to normal again. And, and, and that is what uh, the major thrust is right now is, is, is opening America again as, as health officials, we continue to make the recommendations that I've always made and will continue to make, but there are a lot of different uh, input into decisions about where the country goes. Uh, myself and my colleagues are one element of that. And we will not back down on the elements that we're responsible for, but we are only one of a number of elements that go into it. Well, and of course, it's appropriate for a president on a major decision to, 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 to have different inputs and to be considering different factors. And there are economic factors, there are health factors. Some of those are actually reinforcing and related. 
Um, but I, I guess it would seem to me to be striking that you have not spoken to the president all week. You haven't spoken to him since last week. He doesn't seem to, you know, I mean, you, you had his ear. You really had his ear in, in, in the beginning of, of this. Um, I, I get a sense that you're now seen as a bearer of, of, of bad news that they would rather not, not, not listen to right now. I mean, not that they're not, not that you're not continuing your work and, and with Dr. Burks and Dr. Redfield. Um, but, um, but the focus is let's get this country reopened as quickly as we can. That is true, John. I mean, the, the focus is, 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 and that's been explicitly stated that the focus is to get the country opened as quickly as you can. So what, what my plea is to the people who are involved in that is that as you're doing that, I mean, that's why I say, I mean, if, if, if you're going to have a situation where you're going to have people wanting to get out there, maybe even jumping over some of the, the guidelines, is that there is a minimal amount that you, uh, I wouldn't say minimal, but there's a fundamental basic thing that you should be doing is don't throw all caution to the wind so that you can open up and help the economy by getting jobs back and doing things like that. But that doesn't mean that you walk around without a mask, that you jump into a crowd, that you stop washing your hands, that you stop doing the things that are important. So, so the plea is that from a public health standpoint, you'd want to do it this way. If you're not going to do it this way, then at least do these things. And that's what we mean by saying, if you can possibly do it, you can mitigate it. And as these cases come up, at least have the capability at the local, the state, the county level to do the kind of identification, isolation and contact tracing, which we hopefully will be able to do effectively. We, we've heard uh, from the Trump campaign that they're going to uh, start doing rallies again. Uh, the first one is going to be in an arena in Tulsa that holds about 19,000 people. What I've been told is uh, the expectation is that they don't want to limit the number of people, but they are going to give out masks, not require their use, but they're going to give out masks and they will check people's temperatures uh, going in and they'll distribute hand sanitizer. Uh, is that enough? Can you have an arena packed filled with, with people at a political rally safely um, if, if you have distributed masks and checked people's yeah. temperatures? You know, John, uh, I'll give you an answer, but, but it, 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 it's such a difficult situation because that will immediately be get, be, come out, not by you, but by whoever yeah. listened. I understand. Hitting, hitting I understand. me against I understand. The, the president. I understand. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough one. The only thing I can say is that I... I, I am consistent. <laughs> I stick by what I say is that the best way that you can avoid either acquiring or transmitting infection is to avoid crowded places, to wear a mask whenever you're outside. And if you can do both, avoid the congregation of people and do the mask that's great. If you're going to be in a situation where beyond your control, there's a lot of people around you, make sure you wear a mask. Okay. So let's, let's be entirely clear for everybody listening to this, that you are entirely consistent on this point. You said the same thing regarding the protests that you said regarding the political rallies. So let's, let's be entirely clear. And then before you go, a couple of quick questions on the vaccine. Um, realistically, I, I know that there seem to be some, some really promising uh, developments on the development of a vaccine. Realistically, 
how far away are we, do you believe, best case scenario, where not only a vaccine is developed and manufactured, but where everybody has access to it? In other words, am I going to be wearing masks? Are we going to be wearing masks in 2021? You know, uh, you very well might be. Uh, I can tell you that uh, we're going to be beginning the first of the phase three trials, which means to determine if it works in July. Um, it takes several months to determine if a vaccine is safe and effective and works. Uh, the risk that's being taken is a financial risk. In other words, starting to manufacture doses before you even know it works. The government is working with companies to mitigate that risk for the company. So the government is making a major investment in doing that, which means, John, that at the end of the year, we should know. I had made that prediction in January. I said it'll be a year to 18 months. You remember you asked me that question a year from January is December, which means to me that we would have a vaccine available in a modest amount and probably by the first couple of months of 2021, the companies tell us that they have the capability that they will have a couple of hundred million doses. So I would think that if we're successful, and the one thing I want to make it clear, because this will be coming back in quotes, there's no guarantee at all that you will have a successful vaccine. But what we feel confident that we will know by the end of the year that we do or do not. And if we do, which I'm cautiously optimistic that we will, we will be able to be distributing vaccines in the first couple of months of 2021. Okay, so, so two, two qu- final questions on the vaccine. First of all, is there a risk of a rush to get that vaccine out on the market? Is there a risk of, of short-circuiting the safety aspect no. of it? You'll find something that works, you'll get it out there, and are you really going to know that okay. it's safe for everybody to yeah. take that vaccine? Yeah, that's a great question, John. So the trial or the trials each are going to have about 30,000 people in the trial, Uh, 15,000 in the placebo, 15,000 in the actual experimental component. A phase three trial is fundamentally to determine efficacy. We've gone through a small, we're in a small phase two for one of the candidates. And we will go into the phase three with special attention to the safety issues. So generally, phase three is some safety, but mostly does it work. We're going to be adding a degree of observation for the safety. So when we say we proceed at risk, it is never at risk. We don't compromise the safety. We don't compromise the scientific integrity. The risk is to the investment. Because generally, when you do a vaccine trial, you go to this stage, and if it's successful, then you make the investment in the second stage. If it's successful... Here, we're making the investment in everything up front, which means that if it's not successful, the only thing you've lost is money. You have not compromised safety and you have not compromised scientific integrity. Well, there's certainly going to be a lot of pressure to get whatever, you know, to, 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 to get to market and to get this out there. The financial pressure and the pressure, obviously, of people that wanted to be clear. This last question do you, you just outlined the, the, the steps you're taking to ensure this is being done safely. Are you confident? that the Chinese who are also rushing to develop a vaccine, 
are they as committed to these safeguards? Is there a concern that they may short circuit the, the, the safety aspect? You know, I, the answer is I, I, if I say I have a concern, I'm, I'm, I'm impugning them, but I know from experience that material that has come out of there uh, has been material that has not been first rate. I mean, remember what they sent to the Brits with the test that they all didn't work. They sent them a whole bunch of stuff. So I don't have the confidence that I have in our own regulatory authorities or in the European regulatory authorities. And I'm not ashamed to say that. All right, Dr. Fauci, I want to thank you for taking the time to go through all of this. I had a lot of questions pent up because I haven't spoken to you in a while. Uh, so thank you for the taking, taking the time to talk to us. And more importantly, uh, thank you for your service. Appreciate it, John. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. And that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. We'll see you again next week.